It's so good to see all of you this evening. And as I shared earlier, I'm going to be sharing with you on a subject that probably excites me more than anything else, and that's the subject of faith. And so if you have your Bibles tonight and you want to follow along, we're going to be in James chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. And what I want to do tonight is just read the passage, and we're going to be in and out of the passage tonight as we talk about faith. The book of James chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. I want to read from verse 14 down through verse 26. And before we do that, let's just be reminded that the book of James, James is calling all of us to a radical walk with God. He talked to us about how we deal with trials radically in our life in chapter 1. He talked to us about how we deal with temptation radically in our lives in chapter 1. He talked to us about a radical relationship with God's Word in chapter 1. Last week in chapter 2, at the very beginning, he talked to us about this radical group of people called the church and what that should look like. And now tonight, he's calling us to a radical faith in God. As you study the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you find that there is only one thing that ever amazed Jesus Christ while he was on earth. It was either faith or lack of faith. Many times throughout the Gospels, you will read that Jesus was amazed at the faith of an individual. Or he was amazed at the lack of faith of an individual or group of individuals. And we're going to look at one example of that tonight. Something to keep in mind. We cannot overstate the importance of faith here tonight because Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith it's impossible to please God. And as I said earlier, nothing excites God more than seeing human beings willing to trust Him, put their confidence in Him, put their faith in Him. I think nothing grieves the heart of God more than seeing human beings who are not willing to put their faith, confidence, and trust in Him. So here's what James says. Excuse me. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can this kind of faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat well, but you do not give them what the body needs, what good is it? So also faith, if it does not have works, is dead being by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, well and good. Even the demons believe that and tremble with fear. But would you like evidence, you empty fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? You see that his faith was working together with his works and his faith was perfected by works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Now Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And similarly, was not Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. First of all, and I've said this before, 
the Bible teaches that every human being lives by faith. If we're defining faith as simply putting our confidence, trust in something or someone else, every human being lives by faith. We're, we're putting our confidence and trust in people and man-made things and, and organizations and all of that on a daily basis in our lives. And God gets that. He understands that that's part of the human existence. But all God says in his word is simply this. That we have to come to a place in our life where we realize and recognize it when we put our faith and trust and confidence in other human beings and anything earthly or in anything man-made, it's going to fail at some point or it's eventually going to fail us. But God will never fail us. We may not understand why God is doing what he's doing and what he's doing all the time. But the bottom line is that we will never be failed by God. He will always come through with what he said he would do. And when we get to heaven and when our faith is truly made sight, we will never look back as Christians and go, I wish I'd have put less faith in God. No, we'll wish we had put more faith and trust and confidence in God because God never fails us. Human beings will fail us even when they don't intend to. Man-made things will eventually fail and wear out. Anything on this earth eventually fails. And that's why God says, obviously I understand you have to put your trust and confidence in other things and other people, but just know, don't be surprised when those things don't always work or work the way they should. But if you put your faith and trust and confidence in me, my character, who I am as God, and my word and what I have said to you, that will never fail you. And that's why the Bible teaches that really one of the most important things as we begin this discussion of faith is talking about the object of our faith. Because just as we already said, God would say, hey, you can put your trust in other objects, but just realize they will fail. But if you put your trust in me, and I am the object of your true trust and confidence and hope and faith, I will not fail. In fact, we learned that back in chapter 2, verse 1 last week. Just look at that verse for a moment with me before we move into chapter 2, verse 14 tonight. Whenever he was talking here about not wanting brothers and sisters in Christ to show prejudice, but notice what he says at the end of verse 1, if you possess faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. He's describing, obviously, Christians there, because that's what it takes to become a Christian, to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's also making another point. He's reminding us about the object of our faith. And, and one of the struggles we have as human beings sometimes, even as Christians, is it's not just that we're maybe not putting our faith in God, but it's how big is our God? If our God is too small, then our problems become very big. But no matter how big our problems are in life, if our God is as big as he should be, and really then we shouldn't put any limits or, or anything on God, and we allow God to be God, then it doesn't matter what difficulties and obstacles and trials and circumstances and problems I'm facing because my God is big enough. He can handle anything and everything. And that's why he talks about faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, because he wants all of us as Christians to keep our Lord Jesus Christ high and lifted up. 
He, he doesn't want us to bring him down to our level in order that somehow we can grasp him a little bit better and understand him. The understanding that we need of God is contained in his word. But let God be the infinite God. And let him be glorious and let him be great and let him be majestic and let him be all that we sing about and talk about as Christians. Let him be that big God because when we allow God to be the big God and we're placing our faith then in him as the object of our faith, there is nothing that's ever going to come into our lives that's going to be bigger that you and God cannot handle and get through together because he's that big. Jeremiah 32, 17, our Lord God, You are mighty. You have created the heavens and the earth by your great strength. Nothing is too hard for you. Do you believe that tonight? Again, we can can say the verses, we can memorize the verses, we can read the verses, but are we truly putting our trust, faith, and confidence in that? Do we believe that he is the maker of all that we see? Do we believe that he is my maker Do I believe that he is the one and only true God and that he is great and nothing that I will ever face in this life is too big for him? Bigger than me, but never too big for him. So James here, before he even got to this passage on faith, was sort of setting a little bit of a foundation back in chapter 2, verse 1, when he even talked about faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. It's not the size of our problem, it's the size of our God. I don't care how big our problems are in in life, it's the size of our God that is the most important. One of the things we always have to keep in mind is that we keep God between ourselves and our difficulties. So that we're always looking and focusing and seeing God. Many times where we turn things upside down, even as Christians, is we put our difficulty between us and God. And our difficulties then become so big, it's sort of like an eclipse. They, even though God is much bigger than those difficulties, he's blotted out. He's, he's blinded because all we see is the difficulty that we have placed in front of us and we can't even see God. God says, look, I'm not asking you to deny the difficulties in your life. I'm not asking you to pretend like those difficulties aren't there. I'm not telling you that. I'm just telling you, put me between you and your difficulty. And remember that he is the great and glorious Lord Jesus Christ. The other thing that James talks about then, besides the object of our faith, is the impact of our faith. If you look at James 2.14, he starts out by saying, what good is it? And that word just simply means profitable or beneficial. What profit is it? What benefit is it? And you see, God is teaching us, once again in this passage, that my faith in him, personal faith in him, actually is not to be something that is ingrown but that goes out and that not only profits and benefits my own walk with him and my own life, but that it should be such a faith that benefits others around me and profits them as well. You see, my faith shouldn't just be personal, just between me and God. It should be something that not only impacts my life and makes a difference in my life, it should be something that makes a difference in other people's lives around me. And that's why he starts out by saying, what good is it? What benefit? What profit is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? You'll notice in verse 15, he gives us a specific example. He says, if a brother or sister is fully clothed, we've already read it. He's simply saying that my faith should not ever get to the point where it's just about me. 
but that my faith energizes me and motivates me to reach out and help others and, and impact their lives in a positive way. He talked back in chapter 1 about pure religion and undefiled before God is to care for widows and orphans in their affliction and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. All through the book of James, he's saying our faith, if it's faith in the right object, the Lord Jesus Christ, should never be a dormant faith. It should be a very active faith, and it should be something that is actively engaged in helping those around me in whatever way I can help. Now, obviously, to balance this out, I always tell folks, listen, just because you know of a need doesn't mean God is holding you personally responsible to meet that need. And you and I have to be led by God as to all the needs out there, which ones does God want me to get involved with allowing my faith to go outward, you see, and meet. But there's no doubt that biblically God wants my faith to go out. Just like here at this church. It's not just about who's here now. It's about who's, all, who's still out there that needs to hear about Jesus and needs to grow uh, as a Christian and needs to get into the Bible and, and allow God to change their life and the direction of their life and give them hope and peace and joy and all that. God's not going to forget about us and he's going to continue to work with us too. But God always says, Don't get to the point where then it just becomes about us, but that we're always looking outside of these four walls and saying, and where else can our faith go to make an impact? That's what James is talking about in verse 15 and 16 when he says, we can't just say to the person, hey, go in peace. If we have the ability to help them, then our faith should be motivated to help and impact them in some way. We see this even with Rahab, the example down in verse 25 where she hid the spies. And her faith in the one true God, even though she was a Gentile, was helping the Israelites. And so we see throughout the Bible that when we place our faith in God, it not only benefits us, it should be benefiting others around us. In fact, keep your finger there in James chapter 2 and go back with me to the Gospel of Luke, to Luke's Gospel chapter 5. Luke's Gospel... Chapter 5. I want to give you two quick stories out of the Gospel of Luke that talk about faith. One in Luke 5 and the other one in Luke 7. Very familiar story uh, beginning in Luke 5, 17. Now on one of those days while he, Jesus, was teaching, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting nearby who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Just then, some men showed up carrying a paralyzed man on a stretcher. They were trying to bring him and place him before Jesus. But since they found no way to carry him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and led him down on the stretcher through the roof tiles right in front of Jesus. Don't miss verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. I just want to stop there a minute before we move on. Not only did he see the faith, I believe, of the individual who needed healed and who came for healing, but he saw the faith of those who bore him there on the stretcher because he couldn't have got to Jesus on him by himself, on his own. He had to have friends who were willing by their faith to just, in a sense, in in themselves say, if we can just get our friend to Jesus, I know Jesus can help him. And so the Bible says Jesus saw their faith. You see, 
Faith, even though it's something that a lot of times we talk about as intangible and, and sometimes we, we make it a little bit more mystical than it is, it's very practical. It's very practical. And Jesus said, I, I could see their faith because just by the fact that they went through all that they went through and that they were willing to, to find any way they could to bring their friend to me showed me their faith. And so we see even in this passage that their faith, the faith of the stretcher bearers, was helping out their friend who needed to be healed. Again, it shows the impact of our faith. Our faith needs to impact those around us. And then we move on in the story where Jesus said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Can I just say at that point, that might have been a little disappointing because he didn't come for his sins to be forgiven. He came to be healed. And he's probably thinking, uh, Jesus, that sounds really good. I, I'm sort of glad my sins are forgiven. But I need healed. Hang in there. In fact, then the experts in the law and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, Who is this man who is uttering blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Hello, that's what Jesus was trying to get them to see. I'm God. I can forgive sin. When Jesus perceived their hostile thoughts, he said to them, why are you raising objections within yourselves? Which, first of all, wouldn't that tell them, this guy knows what I'm thinking? We never said this. this. These were thoughts within ourselves, and he's telling us what we just thought. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, stand up, take your stretcher, and go home. Immediately he stood up before them, picked up the stretcher he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. Then astonishment seized them all. They glorified God. They were filled with all saying, we have seen incredible things today. You better believe you have. And here's another way this ties in with what we're going to talk about in James tonight. Because James is so misunderstood, especially this passage. There have been many people down through history who believe that James is teaching that the way a person builds a relationship with God or enters into a relationship with God is through works. That's not what James is saying. We know that the Bible is very consistent on that. We enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ by faith through his grace. That's the only way. But James is saying that if that faith is real, it's going to make an impact. It's going to spill out to others around us. And Jesus, in a sense, even by doing what he did, said, there are things that you can't see But here's something that you can see. So I'm going to heal the man because you couldn't see me forgive his sins. You couldn't see me wipe all his sins away, but you can see me heal him. And no, no human being can look at another human being in a sense physically see faith inside. But we can sure see evidence of it. In fact, Jesus even used the wind back in John chapter 3 to explain that to Nicodemus, a guy who was trying to figure who Jesus was. He said, look... You can't really see the wind, but you can see its effects. You know it's blowing because you see the leaves begin to blow or the trees or whatever. So you see the effects of the wind, but you can't actually see the wind itself. Same thing. We might not actually be able to physically see faith in a person, but we can see the effects of faith. We can see the impact of our faith in the lives of other people. And God, again, always wants our faith to go outward and never just to be about us. That was true of the stretcher bearers who carried this man. And then go over to Luke chapter 7. 
to the story of the healing of the centurion servant. In Luke chapter 7, verse 1, after Jesus had finished teaching all this to the people, he entered Capernaum. A centurion there had a slave who was highly regarded, but who was sick and at the point of death. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and heal his slave. When they came to Jesus, they urged him earnestly, he is worthy to have you do this for him because he loves our nation and even built our synagogue. He's a good guy, Jesus. He's helped us out. But this man, the centurion, had more humility than those who went to Jesus. Because when Jesus went with them, verse 6, when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not presume to come to you. Instead, say the word, and my servant must be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. He turned and said to the crowd that followed him, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. So when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave well. One of the instances in the Gospels where Jesus was amazed at the faith of a Roman centurion, simply because he heard about Jesus. And because he heard about who Jesus was, he truly believed Jesus could just say the word. You see, this centurion was actually placing faith in Jesus in a way that had never been placed in Jesus before. Because every other time up to this point that Jesus had ever healed somebody, he was there. And this centurion saying, Jesus, you are so great. You are so glorious, you don't have to be physically present to heal somebody. All you have to do is say the word because your word is so powerful. And Jesus says, man, I haven't found that kind of faith in all of Israel. Because again, it's not about how big our faith is. It's not about the amount of our faith as much as it is the quality of our faith. And we're going to talk more about that tonight. That's why Jesus said you could have faith the size of a mustard seed. And you could do unbelievable things because it's more important who the object of our faith is, the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, and then what is the quality of our faith. Do we truly just believe with that childlike, innocent trust and belief that nothing is too hard for God? And just like the centurion, Jesus, all you have to do is speak the word and it can happen. That's the kind of faith that Jesus wants to build in all of our lives. That's the kind of faith that James is talking about in chapter 2. A radical faith. Back then to James chapter 2 verse 14. We've talked a little bit about the object of our faith and the impact of our faith. I want to just talk for a moment about the levels of faith. What do I mean by the levels of faith? Well, you'll notice back in James chapter 2 verse 14, he says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can this kind of faith save him? In the Bible, as you read and study the Bible, you find there's different levels of faith. There's a lot of people that come to Cornerstone, say on Sunday, who are at a level of faith where they're seeking. They haven't accepted Christ as their Savior yet. They're not sure they want to. They don't even really know who this Jesus Christ really is and 
what his claims are and all of that and what, what are the promises. of That's all new to them. But they have enough faith to objectively say to God, God, I'm going to give this a fair shake. I, I'm just going to I'm going to find out. I'm going to seek. That's a level of faith where they begin to seek after God. Obviously, hopefully, there comes a point where there's a level of faith we call saving faith. A faith where after we hear the love of Jesus for us, after we hear the gospel, after we hear the message of of the Bible, that we place our personal faith and trust in the Lord Jesus To save us, to become our Savior, to cleanse us of our sins, and to build or enter into a personal relationship with Him. There's also a faith by which we live. That's why the Bible says that the just or Christian should live by faith. And then there's a faith that God doesn't just want our faith to stay at the salvation level, but He wants us to live by faith. And allow our faith to grow so that there's a faith level where we enter into what I call service or ministry. And that's another level of faith. Because much of our service and ministry for God is a faith thing. We don't immediately see the fruit of of what we do for God here at the church. Many of you may be here at the mine. You're involved in serving the Lord and ministering, not just here, but in your community and all over. You are trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And I, I'm pretty sure you probably realized by now, if you've been at it any, that the results and the fruit doesn't come back immediately, that you just have to keep doing what you know God has called you to do. And that over time, you will then see fruit. Because God does promise that we will reap what we sow. And if we sow to the Spirit, we will reap spiritual things. And we will be blessed of God. It's just like the farmer. The farmer sows in one season, but he doesn't reap in the same season he sows. He always reaps in a different season than the season he sows. Same thing is true when we serve and minister for the Lord Jesus Christ. My wife and I are still... We've been out of youth ministry now for 20 years. We are still hearing back from young people that were 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, 20 years ago, who are still writing us, telling us, man, I just want to tell you, I didn't tell you at the time 20 years ago, but you never know what your ministry meant in my life. Wow. We're all like that. And that's why God says, look, there's a faith that that seeks, there's a faith that that." is willing to trust God to save. There's a faith on which we live. There's also a level of faith on which we serve because we have to serve by faith. We don't immediately see the results. And that's hard, especially us in America. We want that instantaneous result or else we throw up our hands and go, oh, it's not doing anything by faith. There's also a dying faith. Again, as a pastor, been in hospital rooms, nursing homes, homes, of Christians who are dying. And there is, a, there is a faith that God gives on that very level where that, that Christian is getting ready to pull their anchor up from earth and place their anchor up in heaven. And there is a dying faith there. There is a confidence there. There is an assurance there as they face death. So there's all these different levels of faith. In fact, that's why Jesus 
If you study the Gospels, you see how he dealt with people. He didn't call people to a radical faith like this right away. The first thing he said to those who were checking him out was, come and see. Why don't you come over to this house I'm staying at and let's just have a meal together. That's what Jesus said. Come and see. John chapter 1. Then a little bit later on in the Gospels, you know, where he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so there was that level of faith. Then they went to another. A little bit later, Jesus said, now here's another level. I want you to consider leaving your fishing business. I want you to consider leaving being a tax collector. And I want you to trust me now to take care of your needs and meet your needs as you follow me. You see, up to that point, the disciples still had their business and they were following Jesus part time. Now Jesus is after a while saying, no, no, I want you to go from this level to this level. And then soon after that, Jesus challenged them again. And he said, now here's what I want you to do. I'm going to send you out to minister. And I want you to trust me that through me, I will heal through you. I will cast out demons through you. And so they had to have faith there. Then later on, he said, now when I send you out, don't take a bag. Don't take any provisions. Don't take a change of clothes. You trust me to to lay it on other people's hearts as you travel around to take care of you as you travel. There was another level of faith. Then soon he talked to them about, now when you follow me, you're going to have to suffer persecution. There's another level. Because at that point, the Bible says that many of those who were following him to that point went, whoa, no, that, that, I'm not going to that level. I'll, I'll follow you, Jesus, but, but when I start having to personally suffer persecution or, or having to sacrifice in some way, nah, not going up to that level. So there's all these different levels of faith that Jesus is continually challenging us to. And tonight, I believe as the word of God goes out that the Holy Spirit is taking this message on faith and I think he's zeroing in on a particular maybe area of our lives. And he's saying right to us tonight, Jeff, here's an area I want you to trust me. Give that to me. Trust me, Jeff, for that. What is that area? What is that level of faith that God wants you to be willing to take him by the hand and go up to that next level. Because the exciting thing about being a Christian is God never wants us to stay at that level. He's always saying, but there's so much more. There's, there's more up the mountain. There, there's more to discover. There's more that I want to show you. There, there's more that, that you need to discover about me. There's more that you need to discover about yourself. So keep climbing with me. Keep going up further to those different levels of faith. And then we have examples of faith here in the book of James. Two examples that James pulled out because he was primarily writing to a Jewish audience. So he talked obviously about Abraham in verse 23. And and the two examples he used couldn't be more polar opposite. He uses Abraham and Rahab. Abraham, man, Jew, patriarch. You know, everybody loves Abraham. He's great, yada, yada, yada. And then Rahab, Gentile, woman, prostitute, you know, on and on and on it goes. And it just shows, it just shows that anyone from any background, no matter what it is or who it is or whatever, anyone 
can put their faith in God. It's not like God has, you know, these people over here can and these people over... No, anyone can. If Rahab can, anyone can. But what I want to point out also is this, going back to an example of faith, but then seeing the different levels of faith. He talks and he sort of convolutes it a little bit if, if you don't slow down and read it. The fact that, yes, Abraham at one time when God called him out of his homeland and said, follow me, I'm going to make out of you a great nation. You know, I bless you. You're going to bless your, your descendants are going to be like the stars of the sky. I'm going to take you to this land and all of this. That was back in like Genesis 16. That was when Abraham was 75 years old. That was initially when Abraham said, you know what, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you. But the example that James zeroes in on is the example of Abraham sacrificing his own son Isaac on Mount Moriah. And folks, that happened at least, at least 30 years after his initial step of faith to God. So Abraham didn't get to that level of faith overnight to be willing to sacrifice his son on the altar, believing that even if he did sacrifice his son, that God would raise him from the dead because this was the child of promise. I mean, if you study the life of Abraham, you know the ups and downs that Abraham had in faith, just like we do. Abraham, man, when he first was called by God, he went out, he trusted God, he started following. Soon after that, there was a famine in the land, so they went down to Egypt. As they start to get down there, Abraham nudges his wife, Sarah, and goes, Sarah, you're hot. And if I take you down to Egypt, all these guys are, you know, so I, I don't want to tell them that you're my wife. Uh, you're, you're some other relative. And he lied about his own wife. Well, that wasn't faith to trust God to work things out. And, you know, later on, later on, God had promised them a son. Son wasn't coming. Sarah turns to Abraham and says, Abraham, God's not going to come through. So we got to take matters into our own hands. Here's my servant. Have sex with her. Abraham, yeah, that sounds like a plan. I think I'll do that. You know, I mean, we put these Bible characters up on a pedestal. Hey, listen, when you study the life of Abraham, here, here, what, you know, man, sometimes his faith was up. It's like, wow, I wish I could trust God like Abraham. He was called the friend of God. But there were times in his life, man, he tanked. He was like, what are you, not believing in me? We're going to get to that in just a moment because that's, that's where we're headed tonight. That's what God is calling us to. This is the kind of radical faith. But I just want to show you. But then he got to a point where after all of that and Isaac is finally born and all of that, he's willing to obey God totally and take his one and only son of promise and take him up to Mount Moriah and raise the, the knife. And that's when God said, no, no. Don't even have to do it. Don't have to do it. But you were willing to do it. You were willing to trust me no matter what. That's what it's all about, Abraham. Learning to trust me, even when it doesn't make sense. Learning to trust me when it seems like everything that we've hoped for, we're flushing down the toilet. That's the kind of faith, the radical faith that God wants to build into our lives. So we see Abraham. So we see the examples of faith here and how that ties into the different levels of faith. But tonight, most importantly, I want to talk about the growth of faith. 
That's what this whole passage is about. That's why he concludes in verse 26 with, just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. The word death just simply means separation. And when someone physically dies, their physical body is separated from the true them, the spirit of them, the real them, separation. And and James is simply saying, in the Bible, God never meant for faith to be compartmentalized. He he meant for it all to tie together so that my faith in God and the way I live my life and the, the works that I do and the service that I do and the way I impact other people, it's all tied together. It's not like, well, this is the spiritual part of me, and then this is, this is my part of my life. No, it, it's supposed to, if, if my faith is the way the Bible describes it, is to impact every relationship, every area of my life, everything. My faith and my works is all tied together. Because God wants my faith to grow and be healthy. You see, faith needs to be a growing faith if it's healthy, just like We as human beings, when we're born, if we're healthy, then we're growing, we're maturing. And spiritually speaking, when my faith is healthy, it's growing. And the way that I grow my faith is by exercising it. That's why God will come along in our lives sometimes, both individually and as groups of believers and as a church, and say, now I want you to trust me for this. Because he wants to place things in our lives every once in a while like he did with Abraham where we have to choose to trust him and exercise our faith. Because the only way that spiritual muscle of faith is going to grow and tone up and and get bigger is by exercising it. That's why sometimes God will even create need in my life. I always need God, but sometimes as a human being, I don't realize I do. And so God says, i got to bring that into your life so that you realize I need God. I don't like it when God does that. Because it can be pretty painful. But there's no mistaking. I do need God. I need to depend on Him. I just need to realize it all the time. And sometimes I get just bumping along in life and get going so, so good that I, I forget God. Sometimes, hopefully, it's just for minutes. But sad to say, sometimes in my life, I forgot God for hours, maybe even days, maybe even weeks. Sad to say, maybe even months. Where I said, God, I'm going to take my life. I I can do this by myself. I, I don't need you. The growth of faith. A healthy faith grows. And it grows in three areas that God wants to see. There needs to be, first of all, a growing continuity in all areas of my faith. See, going back to that whole thing of levels and everything, we all have different areas. And sometimes, as a Christian even, there's certain areas that, for me, it's no problem that I trust God in that area. For another Christian, man, that's an area they struggle with, and vice versa. There may be an area in your life where you have no trouble trusting God in that area, but man, I struggle in that area. Three main areas I see Christians struggling in one, one or the other. Relationships, finances, health. Now there's more, but just for the sake of our discussion tonight, relationships, finances, and health. And again, some Christians, they have no trouble trusting God for finances. Man, they give, they tithe, they... They just trust God. They depend upon him to meet their needs. Finance, that's not a problem. But for other Christians, it's like, oh, man, what? I can't, can't give to the church. I, I, I can't give my, I, oh, I just, I got to hold on to it. I got to manage this. And so there's that area of faith. 
And God wants to build continuity. It's not that he expects to see, in a sense, levels of 10, if we're going from a scale of 1 to 10, that all these different areas of my life that I'm always exhibiting 10s, but he does want to begin to see some kind of continuity so that if I trust God for my health over here, even though I got this really negative doctor's report, and I'm just trusting God to work that out, and I'm not losing any sleep over that God wants me to start to trust him in the area of finances or in the area of relationships or whatever other area of service, whatever that is. God wants to see continuity because he wants me to begin to turn over all these areas to him and trust him in each of these areas so that in my life, again, I don't trust God on a 10 scale in this area and a zero down here. The disciples were like that. They trusted God to heal through them, to cast out demons through them. To me, that takes a lot of faith as a human being. Even if Jesus was physically present and I had never cast out a demon in my life and I had never physically healed anybody, if Jesus would have turned to me and said, Jeff, I'm going to give you the power and the authority to go. You go out in my name and you do it in my name. I'd have been like, really? I mean, I think the first time I did that, I'd have been like, is this really going to work? You know, how's this going to work? You know? And yet they trusted him to do that. And yet later on, when Jesus talks about the importance of forgiveness and how when people, you know, hurt us and whatever, that we need to unlimit, forgive them, the first thing the disciples said was, Lord, increase our faith. It's taking us more faith to forgive than it is to trust you that you're going to heal through us and cast out demons through us and take care of us. So even the disciples had that breakdown in continuity. We see that with Peter. I mean, like Abraham. One minute, Peter's walking on water. Several months later, he's denying that he even knows Jesus. You see, God wants to build a continuity in our life in all areas. If I trust God that I can walk on water, then why don't I trust him to suffer for him? You see? So God wants to build a continuity in all areas of our life. That's why, say tonight, Just get real practical. There may be a specific area of your life and my life that God is saying, I want you to trust me in that area. That's that's been an area that you just, you're you're not turning over to me. You're not surrendering to me. You're still trying to work it out. You're still trying to figure it out. God is saying in that area, trust me. As James has already said, if it's truly spiritually beneficial, God will never withhold it. He is the giver of all good and perfect gifts for us. The other thing that growing faith does is not only grow us in the continuity of our faith, but in the consistency at all times of my faith. Again, going back to the disciples, going back to Abraham, we see example that we can look at our own lives. One day, man, I wake up and it's like, I can trust God for anything today. Anything could happen. I, and it's almost like sometimes in a 24-hour period, something little can happen the next day and my whole life blows up. You know? It's like I'm, I'm trusting God to work through me to teach 400 people on a Tuesday night at the Mind Bible Study and something the next day at the house breaks and I'm just a puddle on I'm a mess you know God why did you do that and God's probably saying Jeff really you trusted me last night for this and now you know 
consistency. God always wants our faith to continue to grow. Grow in continuity in all areas. God wants to see us placing our growing trust and confidence and belief in Him in all areas of our life and at all times. So that we're not living this roller coaster Christian life. But we're living a more consistent, even-keeled, stable life. Where it's not that bad things and good things don't happen, but, but we measure it all out. As Paul says, I've learned to be content. I've learned to have a lot in my life, and that was great, but I've learned to have nothing in my life, and that was okay too because I had God. And I've just learned to roll with life and whatever life brings. That takes maturity. That takes growth. And that's the kind of radical faith that James is talking about when he says, faith without works is dead. Because God wants our faith to be alive. He doesn't want it to be a skeleton. He wants our faith, the heart of our faith, to to be beating and growing and active and energetic and impacting and all that we've talked about. And then finally, a healthy faith not only grows in continuity and consistency, but in compliance to God's way. Compliance to God's way. You see, faith is even going to shape my will and even get me to the point where I may not even understand what God is asking, but I'm saying just as Jesus modeled for us, God, not my will, but thine be done. Compliance. That's why he uses the example of the demons in verse 19. You believe that God is one well and good. Even the demons believe that and tremble in fear. Listen. Demons know more theology than most of us as Christians will ever know. They want, they've been in the presence of God. They know how great and glorious and grand and all of that God is. They know he made the universe. There's no debate amongst demons about creation and evolution. Okay, There's no debate there. The demons know God created the world. Okay, they've got it all up here. They, they can quote the Bible. Satan can quote the Bible. They've got an orthodox faith as much as anybody. So if, if it was all about what I've got up here in my head, then the demons would be on their way to heaven and they'd be the servants of God. But it comes down to this one thing about faith. And that is that real faith in God is going to comply. Real faith in God is going to surrender. Real faith in God is going to submit. And there was a time with with Lucifer and the demons where they said, God, not your way anymore. It's going to be our way. We're going to live the rest of our existence doing things our way. And we will no longer surrender or submit to what you're asking us to do. God said, fine. But in our lives, God is looking for that growing compliance where I'm willing, if I know, and if I say I believe, I'm also willing to follow. I'm also willing to surrender. I'm also willing to submit and say, God, I know your way is best. I know you know more than me. I know that even though I don't understand this, that I'm trusting you and I'm putting my confidence in you and I'm willing to lay down my will 
and surrender my will to your will. See, a lot of times the struggle of faith is right in that area. It's where our will has to be broken in order for God's will to take over in our lives. And maybe that's where God is speaking to us tonight. Maybe it's not about a particular area or about being more consistent. Maybe God is saying to you tonight or to me tonight, Jeff, you haven't surrendered that. You're still holding on to that. You're still doing things your way in that area. Would you please give that over to me? Do it my way. Don't do it your way anymore. And there comes that point where as a Christian, if I'm going to continue to grow in my faith and let God take me further and further to those different levels where I've got to give up and say, okay, God, it's your way. It's not mine. A healthy faith grows. It grows in continuity in all areas. It grows in consistency at all times. And it grows in compliance to God's way, not my way. That's what a healthy faith does. And that's the kind of faith that James is calling all of us to tonight. Because when you and I as individuals begin to put our absolute trust and confidence in God, wow. I'm just telling you, I can tell you from my own personal testimony, when Jeff Royce has truly just flat out trusted God, wow. And God wants to do the same thing in your life. And God wants to do the same thing in the life of this church. Hey, this church, this group of people here, We've trusted God in the past for some amazing things, but God's got some amazing things now for this group of people to trust him for again. Why? Because God doesn't want this church to stay at this level. God's saying, Cornerstone, I got another level for you to go to. Just like in my life, God's saying, Jeff, I don't want you to stay at that level. I want you to come up to this level because when you get up there, you're going to see even more than you can see down here. Faith. Faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what your life looks like right now, but I know this. Our glorious Lord Jesus Christ is big enough, big enough to handle whatever it is. Remember Jeremiah 32, 17. Oh Lord God, you created the heavens and the earth by your great strength. Nothing is too hard for you. Do you believe that tonight? I hope so. Let's close in prayer. God, as we close tonight, I just pray that each of us would just allow you to sort of probe a little bit into our lives and maybe point out one specific area or thing in our lives that we just need to trust you for. That we just need to finally just turn over and surrender and say, God, I'm finally not going to do this the way I want to do it or by myself, but I'm finally going to turn this over to you and let you do it. And I, I realize, Lord, your way is best. Folks, I, I don't know what that is in your life, 
I know what God is speaking to me about tonight. And God, I just pray as we leave this place that we would leave strong. No, none of us may be where we want to be or where we should be, but Lord, you've so encouraged us tonight because we have once again realized that you're not done with us. You're not done with us as a church. You're not done with us as individuals. You're, you're not done with us as families. You're, you're not done with us. There is so much more out there. There's this great adventure ahead. And we've just got to be willing to take you by the hand and let us lead you or let you lead us to these wonderful new places with you by faith and just trust hey it's scary it it can be scary and exciting all at the same time that we're scared because we don't know what the future holds and we've never been down that road before but yet we're excited because God deep within our soul we know you're going before us and we know you're calling us and so God we we want to go we're just confessing it it's scary it's okay God says it's okay God never says life won't be scary That's why God calls us to be courageous. Because being courageous is being willing to do what sometimes we're even scared to do. But we do it anyway. Because you're calling us to do it. So God, help all of us tonight to go up to that next level. Encourage us, Lord, that there's so much out there more for us to experience. And help us to get excited about that journey. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I love you. Thanks for being here tonight. Have a great week. See you next week.